listening to First Church Charlotte. Greetings, everyone. Great to see you all in the house of the Lord. If you don't know me, my name is Nathan. We're honored to have you here. Those of you joining us online, thank you for giving us some time. We're going to worship the Lord here today. Our worship team has already done a great job of leading us into the presence of the Lord, uh, giving us a chance to lift our voices. If you haven't lifted your voice, I'm going to give you some more chances. It's just they gave you a chance to sing. I'm just going to give you a chance to say amen. So, but you still can lift your voice. You can clap your hands. Uh, we are here to focus our mind, focus our heart upon the Lord upon the Word of God, upon the Kingdom of God. Uh, it's good to see you all, but as uh, we're wont to say in this moment, uh, it's not enough for us just to see each other. We need to have our heart open to the move of the presence of the Lord. And can I have a big amen? <clears throat> so, uh, yes, as mentioned, I'm super excited about our, our kids' special event next door. I want to give a shout-out to our first kids' team, the staff that has worked so hard making it possible. Uh, I went in yesterday, when the, the first day of the event, and I don't know that I've ever seen a kids' room decorated any better, uh, any funner. Uh, and I've been in church for 700 years. I want you to know I've never seen it done better. I've never been more proud of a team uh, putting that together, those kids have an amazing space and they're having a great time together this whole last two years has been particularly hard on our children um, it's one thing to be isolated as an adult you know most of us you could put us in a cabin somewhere by ourselves and the first six weeks was first six weeks would feel like vacation <laughs> You're like praise God <laughs> don't call don't write I'm good um, but kids that's not true of kids uh, kids are still becoming and they're uh, of course all of us are becoming but I, I think you understand what I mean they, they very much need that that social connection and so I want to I want to make an appeal to all of you particularly those of you watching online if you're a parent and you have been exceedingly careful and you have kept your kids away from uh, the worship life of the church and the, the, the events and the time together, I, wanna, I want you to pray about beginning to bring your kids back into um, the Sunday life of the church, making those church friends, uh, connecting with their teachers, their, uh, their leaders. Uh, kids need this. Kids need this. We don't want to raise kids who have no sense of what it means to, to be a worshiper. Uh, the, the most basic level of being a worshiper is the first day of the week. We set aside time and we worship, right? Um, that's kind of like base number one. So, all right, enough guilt trip. I won't give you any more guilt trip. Um, I'm preaching today from this subject, stuffed and starving. Stuffed and uh, starving. Uh, most of us have not had this experience ourselves. Uh, when we're stuffed, we're stuffed. When we're starving, we're starving. And the truth for most of us is that we're starving a whole lot more than we're stuffed. Um, or maybe the other way around. I don't know which one it is. Um, but there is a, a story in the Bible that, that gives us, I, I think, as profound an insight to how hunger and thirst 
uh, can teach us about our need for spiritual things. And I'm going to use it as a, a teaching context today uh, to bring all of you along with me and hopefully uh, go somewhere in the spirit. I, I don't want to just talk at you. I don't want to give you a lecture, even if it's a good lecture. I don't want to just preach you a sermon, even if it's a fun sermon. Uh, I want to, if possible, impart something about the heart of God, something about the ways of God, something about the kingdom of God uh, into our life. We need more God and less us. Can I have a big amen? <clears throat> All right, so let's first talk about how uh, often the, uh, the image of hunger is used in the Bible and how many times we are commanded as Jesus followers, um, as people who are seeking covenant with God, uh, how often we are commanded to care uh, for the poor, to, to, to feed the hungry, uh, to, to, to fight for the weak. It is, a, it is a huge part of the Bible. It is sometimes, particularly, uh, particularly in, in, in certain religious circles, it is under-celebrated. Um, we, as a church, believe that uh, food is the universal language of love. And so if we do almost anything, we tend to uh, have food along with it. And that's why half of you go to First Church. Can I have an amen? <laughs> uh, like today, um, uh, Bob and Kat are two wonderful people, uh, serve on our dream team. Uh, they have desserts that are out on the table, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful desserts. You want to know how much they cost? I want you to know uh, they don't cost anything. They're free. Just grab one on your way out and uh, consider it sugar from our house to yours. <laughs> Uh, we want to see how hungry people are not just a world problem, but they are a part of God's spiritual answer to the world. Remember, it's the local church that is God's plan to influence the world. Uh, the local church wasn't dreamt up by religious types. It is God's plan uh, to influence the world. And so as a local church, we don't want to just be uh, primarily those who pursue and celebrate the spiritual when we have uh, so much in the Bible about taking care of the needy and uh, feeding the hungry and, and, and caring for the poor. Let me give you an example of how common this is. Let's say you were a pastor or a Bible teacher, and you decided that you were going to you were going to mention feeding the hungry, caring for the weak every time you preached for the whole of your ministerial career. Uh, and so, if you preached fifty Sundays a year, uh, it would take forty years for you to use every reference in the Bible, and you preached nothing else for 40 years. I want you to think about that. That's an astonishing amount of scripture where we are told to care, to feed, to share, to love. Uh, we should not shrug that off. And we should not pretend that the Bible is primarily about what we may like, and it's not about everything else that is mentioned. And so this idea of hunger is, I mean, there's a lot of scripture on it. And we, we learn from hunger as, as a teaching uh, illustration. We read scriptures like Matthew 5, verse number 6, Jesus referring to people who are uh, hungry for God. He uses this as a teaching illustration. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied, the Bible, the Bible says. Uh, further, James will 
use this hunger, this reality of hunger. Uh, he will use it not just to teach us about people who are hungry for the things of an eternal nature, but how the church should love people, how we should care for people, how we should make room in our heart for people who do not have. Let me read James chapter number 2, verse number 15. If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, hey, praise God, <laughs> go in peace, be warmed and filled, um, but you, you don't give them the things that are needed for the body, uh, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is, is dead. Uh, so James uses the need of hunger, uh, the reality of hunger in the world to teach us about people around us every day and showing the love of God to them. And then Jesus will use the same thing. Now remember, there's over 2,000 references. I just picked three because the last time I read 2,000 references, everybody quit church. <laughs> This is just this is just one uh, where Jesus uses to teach a different lesson. John six verse number thirty five. Jesus said to them, "I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst." Now, if you've spent any time studying the Bible, you know he's not really talking about uh, literal food. There is a, a teaching lesson that is happening. It's as though an illustration is being used, and and serving the Lord will not take away your hunger. I, I wish it would. Think how amazing I would look if serving the Lord had taken away my hunger for food. It's in my experience that most of us uh, eat more once we get religious, but enough about that lest I discourage any one of you here today. Jesus is not misleading us. That's not the point. And the people there, they understand. Uh, they, they get it. And so what Jesus is saying is there is a part of you that's hungry for something that the food of this world will not fulfill. Uh, the things of this life will not satisfy. Uh, they satisfy for a while, uh, but you come to the end of those things, and then you need to refill. You need to find something else. Isaiah will say in the 55th chapter of his uh, beautiful and amazing book, uh, he will say uh, that uh, he's speaking for the Lord. You know, everyone who thirsts, come uh, to the waters. He, if you have no money, come anyway, buy and eat. Uh, how do you buy when you have no money? Well, it just means somebody else paid for it. There's a message there, but I don't have time. <laughs> Buy wine and milk without money and without price. Therefore, do you spend money on that which is not bread, he asks. He's speaking rhetorically. He, uh, you, 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 you labor, you get money, and you buy something that doesn't satisfy. Listen to me. Eat what is good, the prophet says, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. I figured out that's what's wrong with me. <laughs> And so uh, hunger is a profound teaching example in the scripture used from Genesis to Revelation, repeated reference given to us as understanding of how we desire something to satisfy the eternal part of ourselves, given to us as a path whereby we care for one another and thus fulfill the law of the Lord, as an example of how we work within our community and thus manifest the heart of God, the love of God, as an example of how uh, 
how we as believers, how we as churchgoers, we have to be hungry for that which is of the eternal world and not that which is short-term and temporal. We learn from hunger. The Bible says a lot about hunger. Uh, and if we're going to learn from hunger, then let's learn from hunger. I, I, I looked at some world's statistics on hunger over the past week, and there's some themes that immediately jumped out of the, the data, and I, I was amazed at how it's not just true of the world, it's spiritually true. First thing is this, um, the problem is not enough food. Uh, there's plenty of food. Uh, in fact, the wealthy world, the wealthy part of the world, throws away enough food to feed all of the poor world and more besides, and that's just what we throw away. Uh, there's plenty of food. We do not have a food problem uh, at this stage of history. Um, however, as many as somewhere between 800 million and a billion people uh, go to bed on a regular basis uh, having not consumed the base amount of calories that the health organization says that they need. Uh, this isn't about them surveying the world, saying, are you hungry? Are you hungry? Uh, all of us have plenty to eat, and most of us go to bed hungry. Y'all pray for me. <laughs> uh, that's not what they're saying. They're saying by the standards of what health organizations have established as a human uh, minimum, these people did not get that many calories that day. Uh, if you think that they're being too generous, uh, why don't you try eating just 2,000 calories a day, going to bed and see how how much weight you lose over the next year. Uh, you see what I'm saying? Uh, hunger is a real problem. Almost a billion people on a regular basis go to sleep and not... They didn't have the base uh, allowance of um, uh, calories for proper health. And so if the problem is not food, we have plenty of food, what then, what then is the problem? Well, the problem is conflict. That's the problem with hunger in the world. The people who have... Um, they have access to the food, can't stop fighting with other not hungry people long enough to get food to hungry people. Let me say that again. I want you to think about it. The people who aren't hungry are too busy fighting about things besides hunger yeah. to care about the hungry people. Amen. And since because people who have plenty to eat are too busy killing each other, right. the people who don't have enough to eat are blocked in their access to having enough food. So principle number one, there's plenty of food. That's not the problem. The problem isn't that we don't know how to ship things. We ship things very well. We send heavy, small, every size object all around the world. That's not the problem. The problem isn't even money to ship the food. Uh, the problem is conflict. And the result of that is the third principle of world hunger, and that is this. It is children who pay the biggest price. So the first principle is plenty, plenty of food. That's not the problem. There's plenty of food. The second principle is the people who have food are too busy fighting about things besides food to care about people who don't have food. 
And number three, it is the children who pay the largest price for not having food. Now, uh, if we're going to learn from hunger, then let's learn from hunger. This is, therefore, I would say, spiritually the case as well. As sad as I am to say that, uh, the reality of spiritual hunger in our world is not a result of not having enough preaching. There is enough preaching to save the world uh, every Sunday. Most of us have heard enough preaching ourselves to save China. That's the most populous nation in the world, right? Most of us have our full, and so it is that them that have, they have more than they need. It's the people who don't have, don't have it who actually are, are the ones who pay the price, the price for it. Uh, the people who have plenty of food are oftentimes really busy fighting each other over things beside food. Yeah. Sound familiar? And because they're really, really busy fighting each other about things besides food or the right kind of food or how much food is enough or how do you cook your food or how should food be eaten? Should it be dessert first or vegetables first? Everybody knows dessert first. You see what I'm saying? The people who have food are really busy fighting about all the details of food, and the people who don't have food are saying, really? And the thing is, the people who don't have food also don't have a voice. And disproportionately, they are children, they are the weak, they are the forgotten, they are the lowly. So let me tell you a story about hunger and thirst. The story is a famous story of the woman at the well who meets with Jesus. And you can read this story yourself, John chapter number four. If you download the notes that are on the website, you'll have the references yourself for your own, uh, your own uh, study and time. Um, This woman at the well is a powerful, powerful story filled with spiritual depth and insight. I I have preached from this story a lot. I have uh, agonized over the story. I have read it and reread it. I um, almost every week as a regular basis get a story and I put it in my daily prayer and I ask myself, Lord, help me to see in the story something that I can give people so they have something to take with them. This is my personal method of study. I get my context and then I start praying about it. I start thinking about it. I start reading and out of that comes something to share. And I be honest with you, I, I, I have preached this story a lot. I love this story. It was one of my favorite stories to preach from uh, when I was a full-time evangelist and I, as a pastor, have preached it a lot. Um, and it is primarily a story where uh, the Lord is using our natural urges, what we do understand, hunger and thirst. Has everybody here been hungry? Some of you are hungry right now. You're like, all right, preacher, just a minute more, and I'm up out of here. Um, how many of you have been thirsty? I'm not talking about for beer or anything. I'm just talking about thirsty. Uh, you, that, you understand what I'm saying. You know, um, I'm not going to sing a song about let's all gather at the river, you know, and the choir sing water into wine, water into wine. You know, uh, no, I'm talking about just being thirsty. If you go work out, you will get, be very, very thirsty. If you work uh, in the hot sun, you will crave your thirst. And here is something that we forget in our wealthy reality. We forget that if you're hungry long enough, it will make you a little bit insane. That's not my opinion. 
Some of the most horrible things that have happened in history have happened because of people literally driven mad in many cases by this low-lying, gnawing, terrifying, horrible hunger. Uh, and so we are so busy trying to stop eating that we forget the power, the grinding, terrible power of starvation. And here, Jesus is going to use this story of both hunger and thirst to teach us about the kingdom of God. This is the part of the story you've heard a lot of. I know. I preach to you regular. I've preached this a lot. I have heard this preached a lot. This is the first part of the story. This is Jesus talking to the woman about water. This is the favorite part of the story. In just a moment, Jesus is going to talk to disciples about food. That's the part you don't hear as much. In fact, I've never heard that. Uh, I don't know that I've ever preached that. But they're both in the story. And if you'll read the story and meditate on the story, it'll begin to live within your life and within your heart. And so here's the woman. She comes to the well. She's timed it where no one else is there. Why? Well, she has a shame problem. She has an embarrassment problem. She is... She is hurting, and her life has managed itself out, so it's easier for her to avoid the people whom she already know what they think about her. She already knows what they think about her. And so to minimize pain, what does she do? She avoids them. There's a lot of people living like that. So most, uh, most of us are so organized and proper that we forget that lots of people don't live that way. And uh, here she is. And the amazing thing to me is that Jesus uh, is there waiting on her. She, so, she shows up. He speaks to her. This is, this is a double transgression. Why? First of all, men do not speak to women in this time unless you want to have a bad name and a bad reputation. Uh, all societies organize themselves around cans and cannots. It is part of the system whereby we get along without killing each other. Uh, part of their organization of their society is men do not speak to women. Uh, it looks bad, and we just, let's be honest, don't trust you, so don't speak to women. Um, and so Jesus breaks that law because there's something he cares about more than uh, your opinion of him, and that is the heart of a spiritually isolated person. So that's the first transgression. The second transgression is he is a Jew, and he speaks to um, a Samaritan woman. This is, this is breaking the rules whereby the society has organized, organized itself. She's a picture of a spiritually isolated person. It's not that her community isn't religious. That's not why she's isolated. Her community is very religious. Almost all the communities in history are religious. Religion is not the answer. It's usually part of the problem. Don't have time to preach that, but we should think about it. Uh, why was it when God needed someone to kill him, he looked for religious people? He's like, don't worry, we got that covered. They kill everybody. I've been sending my men to him for years. Guess what? <laughs> Dead. So, 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 so here you have this, this, this image of Jesus at the well waiting on this woman. She shows up. She has a picture to draw from. He asks her for a favor. Isn't it amazing how God often introduces himself to people by asking them to do something for him? I think the same thing is true in the church. The first thing I want to do is to get you to do something around here. <laughs> you say, I'm not even living right. Psh, don't tell. Half the other people aren't either. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
I'm having fun. Don't take me too serious. We're, we're trying. We're far from perfect, but we're trying. Um, I, I want you to see that do, do something for me. Well, this, this brings this conversation into play, and they begin a theological conversation that is driven not by Jesus, but by the woman. She's the one who has questions. All right, let's talk about religion here. Your father said to do it that way, and my father said to do it this way. Nobody can agree, and so, uh, you know, and, and Jesus really doesn't want to have a theological argument. You see, this woman is the very picture of spiritual isolation. She's hiding from her community. She has failed in her life choices, shall we say, very unorganized life, embarrassing testimony. She's just hiding, trying to just, you know, get through her day. And when Jesus talks to her, she's ready to talk theology. She knows how to act like she has a clue. Some people say this. What, what do you say? Jesus simply ends all her questions about theology by giving her an answer that she also does not understand. She has a question of something she doesn't understand. What does Jesus give her? An answer that she does not understand. Because what she needs is insight into a God that sees her a spiritually isolated person. She has to see that just because her community has rejected her doesn't mean God is her community. Just because her society thinks she's an embarrassment doesn't mean God won't take time to meet with her. This is the very picture of the heart of God. Yes, there's 99 safe, tied-down people in the fold, but there's one who is lost. What are you going to do, Mr. Shepherd? I'm looking for the one who is lost. And so here you have, you have this woman, and, and uh, she's isolated, and, 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 and Almighty God arranges this, this appointment, and then God speaks understanding. He does not give her understanding about her Samaritan theology. He does not give her understanding about Moses' covenant theology. He does not give her understanding on whether or not the temple should be in Samaria or in Jerusalem. He ignores all of that. What does he give her understanding into? Are you ready for this? He gives her understanding into herself and this profound truth. God sees you right where you are. That's the profound truth. He doesn't get into any of the debates of Mosaic theology, the theology of Moses. He skips all that, and here's the lesson right here. You're thirsty for something, uh, and you don't even understand it. And you've tried all this, and you tried all that, and I want you to know that God sees your thirsty spirit. And God cares enough to meet you here and give you insight to yourself so you can quit looking to yourself for an answer only God can give. This is the picture of every person who is living kind of, you know, the life of the flesh. Uh, They're searching too. They're just looking to themselves for the answer. And it goes like this. That sounds fun. That feels good. That's a great idea. Let's go there. Let's do that. Let's try this. That'll be fun. They're looking in themselves and they're continually thirsty. And uh, so they're trying to fill it and they're trying to fill it. And one day God tries to break into their life. He sets an appointment with them. And if 
they are ready, they're not always ready. Let's be honest with you. Let's, let's, let me be 100% honest here, even if sometimes it leads to confusion and people criticize me. Um, uh, let, 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 me let me say it like this. Not everybody's spiritually thirsty all the time. Um, it, it, when you have something new in your life, um, you're not spiritually thirsty. You're distracted. You're like, a, you're like a kid with a new toy. You know what I'm saying? You get, got yourself a new boyfriend, a new girlfriend. You're not falling up in the church saying, my God, speak to me. No, that's the breakup. That's funny. I don't care what y'all say. That was some good stand-up comedy right there. Um, so the point is this, when you have something distracting in your life, you have a new career, you have a new opportunity, you just won the lottery. <laughs> You're not laid up in the church saying, my God, I need an answer. No, it's pain that brings us to God. It is when everything else has failed. It's when everything else has fallen apart. It's when the mess of our life falls down on us and we give up on the systems whereby we have tried to save ourselves. Now you're ready for Jesus to show up in your life, and that's exactly what happens. Jesus says, if you knew who I was, you would ask me uh, to drink. She's the very picture of a spiritually thirsty person. She does not recognize it. She doesn't know what will sat satisfy. All she knows is everything she tries works for a little while. She needs something more. And so when Jesus speaks to her, he gives her insight to herself. That is the word he gives her. Remember, he doesn't explain. There's no theological arguments here, but the theology is important. But I want you to see how Jesus reaches to the spiritually isolated person. We don't need to debate, debate theology with the person hiding from their neighbors. <laughs> they need to know that God sees them and God loves them. And so uh, she finally, she finally is amazed at the insight, the power, uh, the prophecy that exists in this man, Jesus. And uh, about that time, the disciples come back. Where were the disciples? They were in town buying food, and Jesus was waiting by the well for a lost sheep. And so we'll start reading at verse number 27. This is the part of the story you don't hear preached about. This is the part of the story I haven't preached about. It's in the story. Verse 27. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised. Somebody say surprised. Surprised to find him talking with a woman. Why? Because it will ruin your reputation. <laughs> Thank God it's not that way anymore. I like women better than men half the time. That's funny. Anyway, so you see what I'm saying? It's the time. It's the day. It's the hour. Uh, they're surprised, but no one asks, what do you want or why are you talking to that crazy woman? Nobody's going to mess with Jesus. They know better than to mess with Jesus, but they're not really, you know, on board with this. And I want you to notice that the moment the disciples come back, the, 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 the atmosphere changes. It's, it's like the room changes. Uh, there's no longer an opportunity for an isolated, spiritually thirsty person uh, to connect with Jesus. Once you get enough religious people around them, all of a sudden, it's, it's, uh, she has nothing else to say. She shuts down, um, and she leaves for the village, and uh, this is a new moment. While she is walking back to the village, uh, the disciples are breaking out the picnic. 
They are gathering around. They are getting, breaking the bread out, whatever they have. And while she is running to the city to say this to the people, verse 29, leaving her water jug, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? While that's going on, the disciples are, um, you know, with him. Uh, and uh, they urge him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat you know nothing about. Then the disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? And then Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. The lesson for her was thirst. The lesson for them was hunger. You see, we preach, the, we preach the message about her thirst, and then we shout, and we quote that scripture, and I'm talking about myself, the day's coming and now is, when true worshipers shall worship him in spirit mm, and truth. And somebody say, mm, and then we have a good church service, uh, and we don't read about the disciples not understanding why Jesus isn't hungry. We all understand why she's thirsty. Why? She's spiritually isolated. She has no hope. She has been rejected by the systems that surround her. And all societies have systems. All societies have ways where we do life. We all have agreed rules of this is how you act. This is not how you act. And uh, we do that so we don't kill each other, literally. It's, it's really why we do it. Uh, we act like this so we can live in a civil society. And, and so here you have this woman. She's completely rejected by the system. She has no access. She's rejected on a theological level. She's rejected on the level of being a woman. Uh, she's not even of the house of Israel. And Jesus sets aside time to speak to her as if to say, it, without hope, without hope, without hope, people will always be spiritually isolated. And I'm going to give you water that if you will drink of this water, it is as though the eternal part of you will understand something about hope that you're trying to answer through the temporal part, the, the, the short-term part of you. You need to get the long-term understanding. I am the water. This water will spring up into everlasting life. And the woman says, yes, okay, there's something different about this man. He didn't debate theology with me. He showed me my own self, and I have to admit, that's the Christ. The disciples show up. For them, the lesson's not thirst. Isn't it interesting that uh, it, without water, you can't live very long at all? I mean, literally, your life is measured uh, in days if you don't have water. Without water, you, you begin to die at about three days, um, and it's, it's a very, very dangerous, dangerous situation. Um, it's immediate, and it is total, your dependency on water. But food's a different matter. Most of us, we could go, you know, most of us could go a few, a good few days, maybe a few weeks without food, and we just would finally get back into those jeans we wore in high school. <laughs> um, you understand what I'm saying? I'm having fun, but you understand what I'm saying. Um, so the lesson for her is thirst. Without hope, you're not going to make it very long. You've got to have hope. You've got to have hope. Without hope, you won't even try. Without hope, you won't even try. You've got to have hope. The lesson for her is desperate thirst. The lesson for the disciples is hunger. Jesus says, look, there's something that is so important to me that when I do it, 
it is as though I lose all other concerns in my world. What is it that's so important to you, Lord? When I am able to connect with someone who is spiritually isolated, they are rejected, they are alone, and they think no one cares, and I'm able to connect with them. It is so overwhelming to me, all of a sudden, I don't care about anything else. This is the ministry of Jesus. This is the ministry of Jesus. Uh, nowadays, in the study of uh, productivity, there's this term that's become popular in the last few years called flow. Uh, when you get in flow, flow is you doing you so well that um, you lose track of time, you forget to eat sometimes. I'm, I'm the opposite. I can stay in flow and never stop eating because that's how I am. And uh, most people, you get in flow, you lose track of time. Let me tell you what is spiritual flow for Jesus, something that is so meaningful for meaningful to him that he doesn't need to eat the food the disciples have brought. You know, it's easy for the disciples to want to gather around and have a you know let's have a let, let's 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 have a, a time here with uh, with each other, Lord. Let's 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 gather our food and let's talk about the law of Moses. And that's good. We're told about the law of Moses because it's important, right? It matters. We want we want to understand, but that's not flow state for Almighty God. You want to make God so caught up into who he is and what he cares about, you need to take 99 sheep and put them in the fold and go look for the one who was lost. All of a sudden, Jesus is like, I forget about the need to eat. There is food I have that you can't even imagine. It's as if he says, I was made for this. It's as if he says, this is what I'm here for. It's as if he says, this is who I am. She flees the scene at the coming of the disciples. I'm almost done. Just give me a minute more. Um, and she goes to testify of the living water to the other Samaritans and the disciples. They want to sit down and eat. And uh, the lesson for them is hunger. For her, it was thirst. And here's the interesting thing. Um, it's such a, a different reality for her than it is for the disciples. Let me try to explain. She is an isolated person who has been rejected by her society. She is isolated. Um, her world has plenty of religion in it. She doesn't go to that stuff. She feels like there's no place for her. Her world has community in it. She feels separated from it. She is alone, and she needs what? Hope. She needs to believe that God knows who she is, and she needs to believe that God cares enough to meet with her and speak to her the word that he's the answer, not her solutions to herself. And when God, when Jesus gives her a list of all the things he, she's tried to make her happy, it's as though he spiritually just astonishes her. And he tells her all this stuff. And the, the, the person you're with now, you're, you're not married. And she sees now, uh, she sees her own need for something beyond her solution. This this introduces the whole idea of the Messiah. Jesus says, I am he. And thus comes hope into her life. It doesn't matter how bad your example has been. When you discover spiritual hope, you have a new testimony. It doesn't matter if you've been in prison. It doesn't matter if you've been a drug addict. It doesn't matter what you've come through. I'm telling you, when you get new spiritual hope, it's like God gives you a brand new testimony. 
Nobody in the town likes her. She still has a testimony. They don't approve of her. She still has a testimony. Come on, somebody. They think she's messed her life up, and she thinks she has too. She still has a testimony. You know why people in this church have a testimony? Not because we finally got it together, but because Jesus met with us one day. That's her. That's her story. The disciples don't feel spiritually isolated. They're walking around with God. They both have a lesson to learn. Oh, I'm preaching to somebody today. I don't know if you can hear it. I don't know if you can receive it. But I'm telling you, there's a lesson for both of them. It's not just she that gets the lesson from the needs and the cravings of her own body. It's for them, too. There's just this huge difference. For her, she is living isolated, spiritual, futile, broken existence. She needs to believe that God sees her and cares about her enough to show up. If you don't believe that, you won't even try. You'll just die in your sins. The disciples, they're walking around with Jesus. Their favorite thing to do is sit around the fire at night and tell stories about, I'm going to tell you there was a demon and it was behind that bush. And they get a chill, but my God, tell me about the demon and hand me some extra chicken. Maybe another piece of chicken. This is, this is a picture of us religious folks right here. Me, mm, that's some fine chicken. Now tell me about this demon. And then the demon came out and I said, mm. And the demon went, mm, and then mm, potatoes. Give me some potatoes over here. <laughs> y'all, this is funny. I don't care what y'all say. Y'all haven't spent enough time in the church that you don't think this is funny. <laughs> we're going to have church. We're going to run. We're going to jump. We're going to shout. And then we're going to eat. My God. Mm. <laughs> done been saved up in here. <laughs> and uh, that's what they love. They do not feel isolated. She does. She has no hope. No, her, everything in her life has rejected her. She's not hooked up down at the temple. She doesn't have family serving at the house. You see what I'm saying? She's isolated. And the disciples, they're walking around with God. Why are they following him? Because they believe never a man spake like this man. When Jesus teaches, they look at each other like, my God, I never heard anything like that in my life. That's the best. That's the most powerful. I'm just so glad to, hear, uh, to, to, to be here. The lesson for her is thirst. The lesson for them is hunger. And here's the lesson. If you aren't hungry... To connect with the spiritually isolated, you won't do it. So, uh, what was it that Jesus says to them? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And when I do that, it matters so much to me. I don't care about where we're going to eat. I don't, it's like I lose everything of this flesh. If you can show me somebody who's lost and hopeless, and I can show them that God sees them, that's all the dinner I need. What she needs is hope. What they need is to be awakened to the work of God. And this is true of all of us. We can serve God, and uh, we think that what the food is for, um, you know, let's, let's just kind of gather around, Lord, and, and uh, we, you know, let's just kind of sit together, and 
Let's, let's talk about Isaiah. I love Isaiah, my favorite Old Testament prophet. He was a little bit crazy, yeah, but man, nobody saw deeper into the mysteries of the coming Messiah than Isaiah. Let's talk about Isaiah. And the Lord's like, what, what, what? I have meat to eat you don't even know. There's something in the heart of God that cares about every person who feels like they haven't a path forward. There's something in the heart of God that loves broken people. There's something in the heart of God that cares about connecting with people. The systems of their life have rejected them. They have no connection. And God says, no, you do have a connection. I am your connection. I have no one. And Jesus says, oh, no, 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 no. Just hold that thought. You do have someone. I am he. I want to just avoid people because they, I know what they say about me. I know what they think about me. My life didn't turn out really pretty, you know. It's kind of a hot mess, and I, I, I don't. I, I'll take some of the blame for it, and I'll take. Uh, I'll, I'll blame some other people because I'm human, and that's what humans do, you know. We take some of the blame and blame some other people for some of the blame. And, um, but I, I just, you know, I, I have to believe that that. Uh, I don't know. I have nobody. I'm alone. I'm isolated. And Jesus says, "No, I am He." You're not isolated. That's what she needs. What the disciples need is to be awakened to the fact that if you're not hungry to do the real work of God, you'll still feel like you're connected. You'll still follow him around. But you'll miss the heart of God. Musicians, you can come. Let me end with this. We must hunger to be used of God. I say that first for myself. I don't say that like I'm the picture of good and all you people need to straighten up and be like me. No, 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 no. I preach to myself. If I'm not hungry to do the work of God, I will miss the heart of God. Well, I've been following Jesus for three years. If I'm not hungry to do the work of God and connect the promise of the cross to the spiritually isolated. Am I making sense? Yes. I have to be hungry to do the work of God. What does that mean? There is no shortage of spiritually isolated people in the world. Sometimes we just have to learn how to speak the promises, the faith of God in their life. That's not always easy. It's not always easy. Um, when we did our, this past uh, past month, we did, um, well, actually two months now, we did our back-to-school uh, drive, uh, part of a Prosper You ministry, and we gave backpacks full of school supplies to families all around the area, and we made some great connections. And because of the crazy epidemic reality, we just did a drive-through, and we prayed over every car. And much to our astonishment, um, uh, we were stunned at how effective praying with all the people as they came through the line was. Um, I stood under a tent over here and I, I watched, I watched uh, Brother Ernest pray for people that came through this line over here. Um, I, 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 for a while, I stood over here and I watched um, uh, Sister Lisa. I watched, um, I'm trying to remember some of the people I saw praying, uh, just g g gathering around people. Uh, praying for them. I saw people with tears coming down there. Let me tell you something about those people. Their life is not pretty. They're not all organized. They don't know how to talk theology. Or if they do, they're faking it. The truth is they feel very spiritually isolated. 
If we don't have a hunger for those people, we won't do the work of God. You see what I'm saying? And so it was, it was so interesting how effective that was. We decided, we decided talking to some of the team members, we decided we're going to try to just do a prayer drive-through uh, at our church. And so this coming Saturday here at the church, we are doing a prayer drive-through for cars that come by. We're giving away free pumpkin pie because food is the universal language of love. And um, we're giving away pumpkin pie and prayer. And I just want to say some of you suckers need prayer more than you need pumpkin pie. That's all I got to say about that. Um, will it work? Sometimes you sit by the well and you don't know who's going to show up. I'm okay with that. The volunteers at our church are okay with that. We may pray for people and they never the darken the doors of this church. I'm okay with that. I don't know who is ready. But if we're not hungry to do the work of God, we'll try to pretend like the work of God is something it isn't so we can feel good about ourselves. I can, I'll do that. I have to care about the heart of God. God, Jesus, when he has someone who's been isolated, she's been rejected, she has become a mockery, she's been insulted, and she's hiding from everybody, and Jesus connects with her. They show up with bojangles. He's like, no, I'm good. I have food you don't even know about. If the lesson is for the disciples. For her, it was uh, thirst. For them, it was hunger. If you aren't hungry to connect with isolated, hurting, broken people, you won't even try. You'll still follow folks around. You'll still, you know what I mean? I'll still, but I will not get the heart of God into my ministry if I cannot see how God will move heaven and earth for one lost sheep. That woman leaves there, and in spite of her bad reputation, in spite of her messed up life, she goes back with a testimony, and that testimony changes the community. Let's start reading in verse 39. This is the passage that isn't read as much when we preach from the story. Many of the Samaritans, somebody say Samaritans. These aren't even Jews. They're not of the people of the covenant. They're not the house of God. According to the Jews, these people are all not just enemies, but workers of the devil. Let's start reading again. Many of the Samaritans from that towns believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. Why did they believe? Because of the woman's testimony. What it was her testimony? He told me everything I ever did. Verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Verse 42. They said to the woman, I love this scripture. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. They came for her testimony, but they stayed for his teaching. They came because she had hope. Let me say this to all of you. Hope is contagious. 
If you have hope, your testimony will no longer be, I once was lost in sin. It'll switch, and now it'll be, Jesus changes everything. Stand with me all across the church. So let me make this as simple as possible. I, I, I know I've taken you through the story as I do. Um, uh, there, there's two lessons here for the woman, one for the woman and one for the cypress. The woman has to learn that she's tried all of her plans for happiness. None of it has worked. She's still thirsty. She needs a relationship with God. That would have been impossible, but because of Jesus Christ and the work of Calvary, every one of us can have a relationship with God. Do you see? That's her lesson, so let me preach to the woman at the well here for a moment. I'm glad you've got new hobbies. I'm glad you got a new boyfriend. I'm glad everything's cool. I'm glad you got money in the bank. None of that's going to satisfy. At some point in your life, you're going to realize that all those are temporary fixes, uh, and I want to give you good news. That's this. Because of Jesus, you can pray. You can have a relationship with God. Because of Jesus, you can bow your knees in your house, and you can say, I'm not a very good example, but if you would meet with me if you would wash my sins away right where you are he will wash away your sins that's the lesson for the woman and now let's not stop because we're in the same theme there's not just a lesson for the spiritually isolated there's a lesson for the spiritually connected and the lesson for the spiritually connected is if you aren't hungry to do the work of God, which is connecting with people like that, you won't do it. None of us know what to do with that. We're like, I don't know if I should say amen. What do I do? Do I jump up and down to say hallelujah? I'm just sit here and look at him. <laughs> Let me preach to me. I'm so thankful that no matter what happens to me because of Jesus, I have access to God. I'm so thankful that, you know, this body will get sick. Someday I'll die. I just hope I die old, good-looking, and in my bed. That's the only thing I hope for. I'm going to die. And it, God won't hate me when I die. That's part of life. You know what I mean? But because of what Jesus did, I'm never alone. I have access to God. You see what I'm saying? Um, I, I, I have a great job. You, you guys may fire me because you're all led by the devil. And if I do, it won't mean that God hates me. Do you see what I'm saying? I'll have ups and downs. Sometimes I'll have my money. I'll have money because I successfully stole my wife's money. Other times she'll catch me and slap my hand. I'll be broke. You see? That won't be about God loving me or hate me. No matter what happens to me, whether I'm sick, money, the bank, poor, wealthy, what? I have access to God through Jesus Christ. I have hope. I'm no longer spiritually isolated. That's lesson number one. When you're going through your trouble, don't forget that you're no longer alone. Don't get so caught up in the fact that you didn't get what you wanted that you forget that because God is with you, everything is different. If God doesn't do one more thing for us, we are blessed enough to praise Him for all eternity. If God doesn't give us one more, we have enough reason to praise Him for all eternity. That's the lesson of hope. If you have that hope, if you have that hope, it doesn't matter what your neighbor says about you. doesn't matter what your, your, you see what I'm saying? If you have that hope, isolation matters less because you're spiritually connected. And although you're alone, you can say, Jesus, would you let your spirit move into my heart right now? It changes everything. That's lesson number one. Lesson number two is once you're connected, 
Your job is to be a bridge to the next person who has no knowledge that they have access to God through Jesus Christ. That's your work. That's your calling. It's not celebrate. You, you see what I'm saying? It's not perfecting. It's not celebrating. All of those are part of stewardship. All of those are part of worship. But the work of God, you want to put God in a flow state. You know what I mean by that? He forgets what time it is. You had other stuff planned. All of a sudden, uh, somebody uh, finds a hurting person and says, hey, Jesus changes everything for you. It's as though all of heaven says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's, huh? Something's happening down there. And so, whatever state of our circumstance, whether we're isolated and we need connection, or whether we've been following Jesus for a hot minute, yeah. there's lessons for both. Lord Jesus, I'm praying. I'm praying that you would help us to see this community as sheep without a shepherd and help us to see the many, many, many hurting, broken people that need to be connected to you through hope. And help us see that that is your heart, that is your work, and that is what we must pursue. In Jesus' name. So this Saturday, we're here, we're praying for people. I, we've put, to, put together a tremendous team. Wisdom, if you haven't met Wisdom, she's sitting here on the front row, this beautiful young lady with the red hat. Nobody like her, you can't miss her. She's taken lead on this project. And we have, we're giving away pumpkin pie because if they don't get Jesus, they're at least gonna get diabetes. It's gonna be something, bless God. We're not letting them leave the way they came here. Not supposed to say that, I know y'all, forgive me. We're giving them pumpkin pie. We're praying over them. You say, well, those people may never come to church. That's okay. I'm hungry to do the work of God. Those people may never give a dime to this church. <laughs> it's actually worse than that. We're going to spend money giving it to them. <laughs> it's okay. As a church, if we're not hungry... To manifest the heart of God. Are you ready for this? If we're not hungry, it won't matter if they're isolated. We have to be hungry. And one of the things I love about this church is just how you rally around. This church rallies around anything we do to connect, to give, to share. I thank you for that. One more time, I want to pray over you. I want to pray that God would use each one of you as a, a bridge between heaven and earth. And your mouth would speak the faith that a person needs in your world. One of your family members, one of your uh, friends and co-workers. I want you to be the very manifestation of the heart of God. And I want you, uh, let it start with me, oh God. But I want all of us to be hungry for what is the work of God. 
just hungry to connect somebody who's isolated, to connect them to the kingdom of God. One more time, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I'm praying that you would awaken within every one of us a passion for your work, a passion for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, oh God. We're hungry to see it brought to fruition. We're desiring it to be brought about somehow, some way. Use our hands, our testimony, our, 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 our spoken word of hope and faith, leading people to you. Let it bring change to our world. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. So I want us to do a few things here today. Um, first, I want you to, uh, to know that during this time, if you have a specific need, and you'd like to receive prayer, I want you to be bold. I don't want you to hide. I want you to be bold. Um, I want you to forget about, you know, the epidemic whose name shall not be mentioned. Uh, put on your mask. Our pastoral team will have their mask on. Uh, step out into the aisle. Step down here to the front. Let them anoint you with oil as the scripture teaches. This isn't our idea. It's taught in the scripture. We want to do that. If you don't want to do that, I still want you to exercise your faith here today. I don't want you to leave without exercising your faith. I want you to think of a specific need that you can speak. I want you to say their name. I want you to define what you're asking for. I want you to speak the need because we want to not just receive. We don't want to just enjoy faith. We want to activate faith. And a vague prayer requires no faith. If a specific prayer requires faith. While that's happening, all of our friends and guests, if you want to be dismissed at any time, you can be. Uh, we're so glad you worshiped with us. You can slip out. Our worship team is going to lead us uh, deeper into praise and worship. And I'm going to ask you not to rush away. I'm going to ask you not to, to hurry away. I, I'm going to ask you to bask in the presence of the Lord and stand here and let your heart be open to God and pray this prayer. Oh God, let me hunger for your heart. Let me hunger for your word in Jesus' name. Right now, all across the house, lift your voice in prayer for the specific needs you're praying for. Pray for our team that's going to be praying with people on Saturday. Ask for a breakthrough in the lives and the hearts of people who are spiritually isolated. We're so hungry for this. We're so desirous for it. We're desperate for the kingdom of God to be brought about in our hearts. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.